0: Welcome to Where You're At, a podcast that highlights the work of alumni from the Journalism and Media Studies Department at San Diego State University. I'm Pete Frank Williams. Our goal is to share the success of alums, inspire current students with these stories, and connect students and alums for mentoring. And now, here's your host, Josh Shushan.
1: Coming up this week on Where You're At, we're taking the eight To the 805, then to the 5, we're going to go through Los Angeles, we're going over the grapevine, we're going through Central California, then we're going to take the 205 connector, that'll take us to 580, and that puts us right smack in the middle of the San Francisco Bay Area, where we are going to discuss print newspaper journalism. Yes, print journalism still exists. We're going to discuss syndication, and we will discuss what it's like to write about food, wine, cocktails, travel. Yes, believe it or not, this is a real job. There is a human being on Earth who has a job writing about food and wine and travel and cocktail. Her name is Jessica Yedda We were classmates. This is such a thrill to welcome her. Hi, Jess. Welcome to the Where You At podcast.
0: Hey, Sush. Thanks for having me.
1: Okay, so Jessica did some time working for the San Diego Union-Tribune, and then she worked as a features writer in San Luis Obispo, Couple of years working for Seattle Magazine, but I want to dive right into what you're doing right now. You work for the Bay Area News Group, but your stories get syndicated. They're all over California. They're all over the country. About 700,000 circulation for your stories. Make us believe in newspapers and what you do and what these stories do and how this is all comes together.
0: Gosh, um, I feel so pumped. Thanks, Josh. You know, we are a digital first organization. So that means that um, SEO is still a really big deal. And um, the stories, of course, post on first, uh, and then they uh, reverse publish in print. There's about like a, gosh, 11, let's see, a six day lead time on the on those stories. So when they post online, typically they'll run in print in our Sunday eat, drink, play section. That's where, you know, we write about all the fun stuff, um, food, wine, like you said, travel. Uh, the play section is about getting people out of their house, away from their computers, actually doing stuff, hiking, biking, whatnot. Um, and then in addition to those, <laughs> as if, that's not enough of a grind. We publish seven kind of glossy, high-end magazines a year with themes like um, we just published Bookish, which explores the Bay Area literary scene, mm-hmm. um, booksellers, author interviews, things like that. Uh, we did Eat, which was one of our most popular magazines, obviously about the restaurant scene and dining and chefs and stuff. And uh, we have one called Play Ball coming out. We have Kickoff, which obviously has to do with the um, football season. So yeah, it's um, it's a lot of work, but it's all really fun stuff.
1: Well, this is super exciting because Jessica and I worked at the Daily Aztec together. I was basically leaving as she was coming in, but we've gotten to know each other over the years. Um, stay in touch. I haven't seen you literally in person. I can't remember. So I'm super excited about this. But the, the other thing that I really hope that students can get out of this is just the idea that You have an idea. There's something you have a passion about. There's something that you want to write about, and how you basically can create your own niche. So, give us how you got to this with coming to the Bay Area News Group and saying, you know, I I I want to write about wine. Give us like how you created this wonderful job for yourself.
0: Yeah, you know that it's so true. That's a really good question. Um, you know, uh, it was the Contra Costa Times at the time. It's now called the East Bay Times. You know, Contra Costa County and the East Bay is is no small market. I mean, it's a, it's a legitimate sized market in the East Bay of San Francisco. And when I arrived, we had a food section, you know, recipes, uh, talked about the dining scene, the restaurant scene, all that stuff, but there was no, separate wine wine coverage there was no wine section and meanwhile you had the chronicle they were the first dedicated wine section in the country uh and so i kind of thought well gosh you know if they can do it so can we Mm -hmm. so i sort of educated myself on the region i was going to napa and sonoma poor me and my free time (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, speaking of the chronicle they do an international wine competition and invited me to be a judge on that Uh, i think that certainly helped bolster my my byline. And so before you knew it, I was kind of, oh, I took some classes at the CIA, that's the Culinary Institute of America, on my own. So I think if you show the initiative, and really are willing to dig into something, you know, you can make it your own. And from there, I started uh, a wine blog at the time when wine blogs were exploding around the country. And, you know, that led to all sorts of ideas.
1: I know that one of the things that Temple Northrop, the, the director of the Journalism and Media Studies School, um, preaches a lot is about ethics. And I want to get into the ethics involved with you. Because I think that, you know, look, when you're writing about these things, food and wine, I'm sure there's a lot of people that just want to give you free stuff. And they want coverage that's all positive. And so give us the importance of still being giving honest reviews and still making sure that you have, you know, the the ethics that are involved when you're doing something that's fun, like wine.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, meals, too. I mean, you know, restaurant meals and stuff. Uh, We, we don't accept any Really free food at all um, or bottles of wine. I pay my own way wherever I go. I show up blind. They don't know I'm coming uh, before. I don't think I've ever been recognized anywhere. I've gotten a free dessert here and there, and I just hope it's that the restaurant has really confident service and knows that they goofed somewhere and, you know. We want to make sure I come back or whatever. Let's see. And if, you know, if we're ever going to an event where let's say it's a media event or a preview event or anything, won't let that skew our judgment. And I've actually been directly, you know, um, asked by PR uh, agencies, uh, PR people, if, you know, they can exchange a free this or that uh, hotel stay or restaurant meal for a review. I mean, they straight up ask me and I just make sure to say up front that that's um, I'm not at liberty to do that. And that's not something this this organization does. So you just you know, you just be up front and stick to your guns and, and pay your own way.
1: As a newspaper reporter, we're used to having recorders and notepads or phones that we that we take our notes on. So when you're being incognito at these different events, do you sneak away to the bathroom to take notes? Are you taking mental notes or how is it that you still make sure that you get you know, your, your notes and just other ideas without making it too obvious that you look like a reporter?
0: Yeah, totally go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> not beneath doing that. I think in age with so many Yelpers, and we're just such a food obsessed culture these days that I just bust out my phone like everybody else does. I take pictures of everything. Mm-hmm. So later I can go back in that kind of jogs my memory um i take notes on my phone too and sometimes i'll um rope my husband and son into doing uh similar things my kids 11 and a half but he's a shrewd shrewd reporter i would say okay tell you
1: that. <laughs> well give us more details about your young reporter's um uh, shrewdness what 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 makes him so shrewd
0: oh god he is brutal when it comes to um highly reviewed categories of pizza uh-huh. and donuts. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. He, um, you know, he'll, he'll go through, you know, he'll sit down and he'll go through, okay, let's, let's do the top five, you know, most important things. You know, he'll go like texture, taste, you know, appearance and smell. And he'll go through every <laughs> one of his senses. It's pretty funny. He's been doing this for a number of years and he's a very picky eater, which is so ironic.
1: Okay. I like it. I like it a lot. The other thing about this industry is that between wildfires and now tons of rain that can lead to flooding or COVID and the number that that did on restaurants, how much do you find that you're not just reviewing the item that they make, create, but that sometimes there's new stories involved in these industries and how they've been affected by the things happening in our world these days?
0: Oh yeah, Um, it's. uh, I've had. I mean, it's so true, Josh. It's 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 really remarkable how your breaking news um, experience and just good old fashioned reporting and listening comes in handy because it has changed a lot. And it's not. uh, I'd say probably half the time it's not about you know the way something tasted or looked or the service. It's it's the the restaurateur crying to you on the phone about you know, the hiring crisis, the changing face of downtown San Francisco, and, you know, how much real estate is just available and how much it's become sort of a ghost town with everybody working from home. Uh, I've had so many heart-to-hearts just listening, you know, not really doing anything, but just listening and trying to figure out what the stories are. A lot of what I do these days is try to um, tell the stories of the underrepresented people within the restaurant industry, Whether that's uh, restaurateurs of color, BIPOC chefs, all that kind of stuff. It's it's an interesting time to be a food reporter because of everything that's going on, Uh, inflation as well, those kinds of costs. Uh, I remember during the uh, right after the pandemic, you know, uh, rental rent agreements between landlords and restaurateurs was a huge huge deal. If they could get another tenant to come in and pay twice as much, um, you know, they would just there were some clause in the lease where they could just boot the other restaurant.
1: Wow. I yeah. feel like, I feel like when you're working on a story, like when you just described that and and you're hearing a restaurant tour and they're like sobbing when they're on the phone and you can feel like, you know, the, the heartache that they're going through and um, just sort of like the challenge that poses of being like a quality human and, and relating to them and helping them. And then also trying to find the most dignified way to, to report on this story.
0: Oh, uh, you know, you mean not getting too emotionally attached? Yeah, I mean. yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. But also, like, yes, this is heartbreaking stuff. You're both a human and a reporter and trying to, like, find that right balancing line.
0: Yeah, you know, I think we've um, celebritized, if that's a word, chefs and restaurateurs so much with, you know, just the explosion of the Food Network and other other, um, food centric TV shows and stuff. And at the end of the day, I mean, with the profit margins being what they are, this is just a really tough business. I mean, you have to be kind of crazy to go into, to go into the restaurant business, I feel like. So using that time with them to just maybe ask one more question about, you know, why they're doing this, why they keep doing this and stuff. It really gets to the heart of, uh, these are just community gathering places, you know, they get into it because they love serving people. Uh, They want to share maybe their culture with, with the community. So, um, you know, getting to the heart of that, I feel like if you just listen, and then maybe ask that one last question, that'll get you uh, that really awesome quote.
1: All right, Jess. So we're talking about what you do right now, but let's go back now. Let's rewind twenty years, or roughly twenty years or so. And uh, you're either finishing high school or starting college. If someone were to say, "Hey, Jess, this is what you're going to be doing in twenty years," what would you have thought?
0: Wow. Um, You know, I I think at that time I thought I was going to be an arts and entertainment reporter, which is kind of how when I got to the Daily Aztec, my editor Scott Puckett Mm -hmm. put me on. you know, concert reviews, I remember that specifically because SDSU had, and I'm sure still does, get some really major acts coming through. So um, I did a lot of that kind of reporting. I did a lot of music. I did a lot of film at the time. I don't know what it is today, but the circulation of the Daily Aztec back back then was like you know, a small town in in America. I mean, it was probably 30, 30, 35,000 circulation. It was a legitimate daily paper. So uh, covering the arts and entertainment community is is kind of what I started doing. And I I guess that's what I thought, maybe working at Rolling Stone.
1: Mm -hmm. Little did we know how much the world was going to change in terms of, of how media gets disseminated. What advice would you give your former self if you could go back in time What would you tell yourself about what to do and what not to do and what to focus on or different things like that? Gosh, that's a really good question.
0: I guess I would tell myself to not be afraid to try something different or to, um, you know, let's say move out of state. If -hmm. that's necessary, Uh, you can always come back. And throughout my career, I've met so many people that, you know, I think when we were coming up in the industry, Josh, there was this taboo against, let's say, like going into marketing or PR. Uh, They were just delineated areas of communications and you couldn't really cross. But now I've met so many people that are like, oh yeah, you know, I did this and that for two years and then I came back. So uh, you can definitely try different things. Uh, It'll make you, you a more nuanced specialist, I think, in communications and
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because I feel like one of the things that I struggle with is just the balancing act of marketing myself, right? You know, we're taught as journalists, you know, we're not the story. Don't make yourself the story. But, whether it's making sure that you get your story out there or making or when you're looking for that next job, it becomes uncomfortable and I don't want to make it seem like I'm bragging too much. but there is a kind of a subtle art of knowing how to market yourself and market your work and market what you're doing to to let people know about it and get that word out there.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, you're a brand, you know, and I think we forget that sometimes or we we weren't taught that way back then but but now we're a brand you you can ha- you should should have your own website um you know there are things uh some I can talk about and some of my chronicle uh, international wine judge thing is fine but there's other um competitions and things that I judge for that maybe I'm not supposed to talk about but they they should find a place somewhere on my resume I mm-hmm. feel like yeah so uh, you do you do want to brag about yourself
1: what are some other just cherished memories from attending San Diego State, whether it's journalism related or not journalism related? Go down memory lane with us a little bit and just, you know, yeah, so, some yeah. of the things that just make you smile.
0: Yeah, it's just, you know, among the best years of my life. Absolutely. Um, it's such a special place. So many special people working at the Daily Aztec every day really gave me structure to my life and, and week. Uh, it was always somewhere I could go to talk to someone um, mentors uh, uh, like you, for example you you kind of lived there for a while so um, <laughs> definitely that um, some of my favorite professors uh, like uh, I remember Joe Schneider mm-hmm. taught me um, if your mother tells you she loves her loves you, check it out. And I remember that was like <laughs> Just being an immigrant, you know, child of immigrant parents, that Mm -hmm. always made me laugh because it's like, what are you talking about? But, you know, so critical to being a a savvy journalist is always ask, you know, more questions, you know, check things out, um, recheck things out. Gosh, what else? The friendships I made. I mean, you can never, never trade that. My my two best, best friends um, that we've been through so much together uh, to this day, we're meeting for our annual uh, girls' birthday trip. Uh, we were all February babies. We're still best friends. We met, uh, gosh, I think the second year, second second week of freshman year. Oh. They were also communications majors. New media studies, but I did not hold that against them. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Why did you pick San Diego State? What was it about Montezuma Mesa that made you want to go there? Gosh, <sighs>
0: I remember, uh, I know that the fact that they had a journalism department and being such a um, newspaper nerd at my high school, um, I think just knowing that that's what I wanted to do and that they had that was um, pretty remarkable to me. And um, I got into their honors program and I remember being worried that it was such a big school. But as my dad told me back then, he said, you know, you can be... um, was it, a big fish in a... Oh, because I got into the honors program and the classes were so nice and small. He said you can be a big fish in a small pond there, even though it's a big pond in general. Uh, but that kept my... I don't know what it's like now, but that kept my classes down to like, seriously, like 30 people a class.
1: It's interesting you bring that up because... As you said that, that just triggered my memory of walking into like these huge amphitheater classes as my, as a freshman and just being, oh my goodness, like look at all of these people that are in these classes. But then there'd be other classes where there would be, you know, 15 to 20 students who were in there and, and just sort of like the mix of that. And, and I also think that even though San Diego State is this huge school and it is this big pond, it's like finding the small ponds within the big pond, right? Whether that's working for student government or whether that's working for KCR, the Daily Aztec, or there's so so many other different groups that, that are on campus and kind of, you know, taking this big pond and just finding like your little, you know, your, your little, your little spot over there where you can just swing off a rope and hang out and and get some sun, you know?
0: Absolutely. For some people, it might be the Greek system for others. It might be like you said, an organization or something, but I found that pretty quickly and I feel really fortunate.
1: You mentioned some of the professors that had an impact. What would be your advice to current professors now, knowing what you know about, you know, how how difficult it can be to get jobs for students, um, especially coming out of the pandemic and how media shrinks, but then it expands in other ways. Do you have any advice for any of the San Diego State professors listening to this podcast about what they can do to help students? Gosh, that is such a good question. Uh,
0: I guess uh, maybe, you know, I got and I, I got into a pretty lucrative internship program, and I have a feeling it had a lot to do with uh, my magazine writing professor at the time, who who wrote me a really great recommendation and really encouraged me to apply to something like that. It was the um, Association, uh, let's see, American Association of Magazine Editors, as me, and they put on an internship program in New York City every year for. Um, I think it was junior and senior college students to work at 20 to 30 magazines around the city. And um, yeah, Sandra Younger, I'll never forget her. My magazine writing professor uh, recommended me for that internship program. And it did so much for my career. So I would say, You know, having, you know, outside of the classroom, just being a resource to students for letters of recommendation or programs and internships they may not know about outside of San Diego would be would be pretty amazing.
1: When it comes to the craft of writing, the art of writing, I I don't like to look back on the things that I wrote 20 years ago or 25 years ago because it does take time. And even now I'm not involved in writing on a regular basis, but when I do write, sometimes I think, man, what happened to my writing skills? Um, Really? No way. I mean, it just kind of, you know, I feel like it's really easy to get trapped in writing just cliche stuff when you're not writing like on on a daily basis. What is your advice of just how to write, how to stay fresh, how to keep getting better with what you're writing so that you don't end up in the same traps of writing the same type of phrases, the same type of... You know, I mean, it can be very easy to make a cookie cutter story. Uh, what are yeah, some of the yeah. things that you do that you can give advice to people about?
0: That's a really good question. because I've been doing it every single day for so long, I really do feel that it's a muscle mm-hmm. that needs to be, um, yeah, used every day. I mean, aside from, you know, a two week vacation here and there, I've just been doing it so long. I haven't stopped and... uh I know to, to listen for almost a rhythm in my writing. Um, And I mean, I could tell you some of the like little things I do. I mean, you know, varying sentence structure, alliteration, um, using just, you know, precious, perfect quotes, not using quotes unless you have to, unless they really, really add something to the story but it's so true. I've, I've uh, made sure you write an active voice. These are a lot of the things I learned from Sandra, Sandra Younger as well. I don't know. she's still, she's still at the university. Gosh. Yeah. I, I guess those are the main, the main points right now, but just use it or lose it. I remember I had a fear that I would like some somehow forget how to write a point, but I was, I, that was like 10 or 10 or 15 years ago and it did not happen. So
1: what what gives you the most pleasure and like happiness, what types of stories or maybe give us a story or two that you've done over the years where you just felt like, yeah, th- this is why I do this. This is what this, you know, am this makes me proud that, that we do what we do.
0: Oh gosh. Um, I think uncovering, uncovering something that people don't really know about or think about, or maybe they've thought about it, but you know, they don't know why really, you know, whether it's, you know, culturally, or just something societal. So uh, I started noticing that when you go into a pizzeria, uh, you don't often see women throwing pies. Mm. I mean, think about it. When you're you're just at your neighborhood pizzeria, or maybe it's a fancy pizza place in Los Angeles or something, do you ever see women, or even on the Food Network shows, you don't often see when they do these pizza stories, it's always like these tatted up big guys or, you know, bros or something. And so um, I started looking into it and finding out that just there's this um, heavy machismo that still exists in Italian food. And you'll find it in other cultures too, including Japanese cultures. There's a direct parallel with um, the sushi line. When you're at the sushi counter at a Japanese restaurant, you just never see women making rolls. So I started looking into that and I ended up doing a big piece on the rise of the pizza Iola, ah, it's another word you never hear. It's always right. pizza Iola, right? Uh-huh. Well, there are, <laughs> there is a word in Italian for female pizza makers. So that was a really rewarding story. I, um, I found, gosh, I think four or five pizza Iola in the Bay Area, and they weren't just throwing pies; they were opening their own pizza restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of traced it back to one or two mentors in the Bay Area and schools, pizza schools that are really big on uh, teaching and promoting women in Italian food. I was really, really proud of that story. And I'm going to do the sushi one next. So don't steal my idea. I
1: I, I won't steal your idea. And that's such a great example, because I think that goes to the heart of whether you're writing about politics or baseball or Pizza that it's all about being curious and just thinking, what yeah. is it that I'm seeing that I don't normally see and just looking for something that does make it unique. And, and, and that's where the fun for me is, is, is finding those things and just the curiosity. That's, that's the ultimate journalist. Someone's just super curious.
0: That's so true. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, another one I noticed was um, uh, 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 Laotian cuisine. So even in the Bay Area, which has such a, a strong Asian population, um, you'll always see Vietnamese Laotian and Laotian restaurants. And these are actually, I learned, Laotian immigrants that were afraid to cook their own food because they didn't think they, uh, they didn't think the American palate would be, uh, able to handle the nuances and the flavors of food. And because Vietnamese immigrants and Thai immigrants had come here earlier, um, uh, and familiarized Americans with their food, they would, they were too afraid to cook their own food. So I found some Laotian chefs and talked to them about that and how they're, uh, instead of just having a few off the menu Laotian, uh, dishes, they're um, they're flipping the equation and they're mm-hmm. just offering like one bamin or one pad thai, and then everything else is this funky, unrefined, amazing Laotian cuisine. So I guess part of that is you know, living in a in a large market like the Bay Area, you'll mm-hmm. you'll be able to uncover some of these culturally diverse and interesting stories. So I I feel fortunate for that. But you're right, it just boils down to, to curiosity.
1: Okay, one of the themes that we're trying to do on this podcast is to to just spread the word about what other alums are doing. And so we want you to brag about some of our other classmates. So um, who do you want to brag about? Tell us about something. It can be one, it can be two. Tell us about another San Diego State alum who's doing something in communications that we should know about that you're proud of.
0: Oh, sure. Uh, I'm going to brag about Ross Von Metsky. Um, he's over in West Hollywood. Uh, he is the director of communications and head of PR for the, it gets better project, mm-hmm. which is an international organization, a nonprofit that, um, seeks to elevate and support gay, lesbian, uh, transsexual and queer youth around the world. Um, whether it's through advocacy work or um, events. So uh, Ross, who I hired at the Daily Aztecs, he was one of my writers, and then he became an assistant editor. I helped get him an internship through the same internship program. I ended up at Time Magazine. Ross was at, oh gosh, I think he was at a women's magazine, uh, one of the teen magazines, I can't remember. But um, he went on to be the first web editor for advocate for that publication. And then he went to the It Gets Better project. So he's doing some incredible stuff over there.
1: Oh, way to go, Jess. Yeah, way to go, John. Well, (laughs) um, I want to brag about someone who you and I worked with at the Daily Aztec. And he was not a journalism and media studies major. He was an English major. His name is Will Bell. He worked with us at the Daily Aztec. And actually, when he departed San Diego State, he became a police officer. He that's was right. He was a cop in Los Angeles, and then he got hurt on the line of duty. And so he wrote this book called L.A. Rex, which was sensational. If you know Will, then you're reading the book going, oh, that's of course Will. Of course Will has tigers in front of this house that's protecting this person's house. <laughs> And then writing that book led to him writing the TV show Castle, which was very entertaining and successful. And then he starts writing movies. I remember he wrote Gangster Squad. And then I'll never forget, I'm in the movie theater and I'm getting ready to watch Aquaman. And I see on the screen, written by Will Bell. And I just started yelling, no. yelling. People in the movie theater like were like looking at me like I was a crazy person. And I went, he oh my that? gosh. Yes, Will Bell wrote the number one movie in America. He wrote Aquaman.
0: I know about all the other ones, but not that. That's huge. I'm going to tell my kid he's going to be so impressed.
1: Yes, he's written Justice League and he's heavily involved in like his IMDB is just ridiculous now. And I'm just so proud that I knew him back then. And he still (laughs) usually responds to my text messages and emails. And we're going to have to get Will on at some point for this podcast, even though he was not a JMS major. But again, it just goes to show, I think Will's a great example of someone who... He was a guy who just was always reading a book. I remember that about Will in college. He was always reading a book and he wrote City and he was managing editor and then he becomes a cop and then he writes TV shows and then he writes the number one movie in America. You just never know. Do you
0: know if he became a cop because he knew he wanted to write those kinds of TV shows and movies or he just kind of went into law enforcement?
1: Well, That's all the more reason I need to get Will on this podcast so we can yeah, find out exactly the answer. To that I'm going to say that he just wanted to be a cop, but maybe it was yeah. in the back of his mind. I mean, yeah. he always he always read so many books, and he was so into different movies and TV shows that involve cops that maybe it was there. We'll have to find out.
0: I'm going to plug right there for being a um, for being a, a English, having English as your minor because I did, and I think it helped my writing.
1: Okay tell me more about that. And then we're going to wrap this up, but tell me more about how being an English minor helped your writing and how that can help others. I think it might be,
0: if you're particularly, if you, if you plan to write something besides just straight news, um, I think it, it adds some dynamics and depth to your work and Mm -hmm. just makes you read so much. Like you said about Will. Uh, I mean, I was re I, I took classes like you know, the Bible as literature, and then like uh, a women's literature class. And uh, I think the kinds of books that they make you read, make you, I wanted to read some but I think that just the amount of, of literature that you have to consume as a either an English major or an English minor only makes you that much better of a writer.
1: Yeah. All right. That's a really good way to end it. I like that all right jess thank you for your time and your friendship over the years and tell us about your story if people want to find out more and read your 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 work uh where should they go in order to read your work
0: uh they can just go to www.mercurynews.com and just click on the food section or they could do mercury news slash jessica yet and all the good stuff should
1: come up. And all the good stuff. There's not too many Jessica Yedegarans. And so it's really easy when you type her name into Google to find her work. All right, (laughs) Jess. Uh, Once again, thank you so much. This was awesome. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Once again, that is Jessica Yedegarans. I'm your host, Josh Sushan. This is the Where You At podcast, San Diego State's Journalism and Media Studies podcast. Hope you enjoy this. If you want to get involved in the department, please do so. You can mentor, you can speak, you can speak by Zoom, you can speak to a classroom, get in touch with me, get in touch with Temple Northrup. We would love to have more and more alums who are getting involved in the department with professors, with students, and helping make an impact so that we can share some of these stories. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening
0: to the Where You At Podcast. This is Amber Frankiesen from the class of 2009 and founder CEO of AF Marketing. Thanks to Martine Marin for creating the music you're hearing right now. And to Alex Piscatelli for work on the podcast name and the artwork on social media. And a reminder to SDSU alums of the Journalism and Media Studies Department, we really want to know where you at tell us about your career, get involved in the department. You can donate your time or your money. You can mentor, you can speak to classrooms in person or over Zoom.
1: You can provide internship opportunities to students, but really we need your help in growing this department. Again, thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, recommend us a future guest, and go Aztecs!